0: Welcome back, mamas. Today's interview is with someone who was a very influential person in the beginning of my experience of motherhood and matrescence. Many, many years ago, I began to study with Julia Jones, creator of Newborn Mothers. I was pregnant with my third child. I'd been through my awakening of pregnancy and then early labour at 28 weeks. I had spent 10 weeks sitting on the couch trying to understand how this happened, why I was doing this to myself, why I was unable to slow down and enjoy motherhood, and I found Julia Jones's work. I downloaded her ebook in preparation for my third baby, and that's when everything began to change. Julia Jones is one of the world's leading experts on postnatal support and the fourth trimester. She teaches doulas and midwives and anyone who is passionate about birth how to support women differently using ancient practices that have somehow fallen away from our current understanding of motherhood. This interview, I hope is empowering for you no matter where you are in motherhood. If you didn't get your fourth trimester, if you feel like the nurturing and nourishment of you when you were a newborn mother, I hope you know it's not too late. These ideas of honouring the changes in your brain, honouring baby brain, honouring your body, honouring the experience of becoming a mama, can happen right now. Enjoy. The Happy Mama Movement, a weekly podcast dedicated to changing the conversation about what it means to be a mother and a woman in this day and age. I'm Amy Taylor Cabaz, author, mama, and former journalist. After spending 15 years chasing news and burning myself out trying to be superwoman, I realised that I was chasing a dream that no longer served me and since then have dedicated myself to understanding the transition that we go through as women when our whole identity shifts with motherhood. Every week I will bring you the very best insights and inspiration I can find to help us all change the way we feel about this time in our lives and create a movement that allows us to honour motherhood differently. Julia, thank you so much for joining the Happy Mama Movement podcast. I actually can't believe it's taken me this long to get you on here because you were such a huge part of me stepping into this work many 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 years ago so welcome you should have been
1: here a long time ago (laughs) well it's a funny thing isn't it because we've known each other for so many years and we've kind of just reconnected again which is so awesome um but yeah I mean life does that doesn't it sometimes you just come together and then you go drift apart and then you come together again so no I'm also very happy to be um back here and I know it won't be our last time either (laughs) no
0: absolutely
1: not and it is like that
0: I think I came to you when I was trying to really understand what could I do around this new mother area of study and work and then went on my own path and I know you've been on the most amazing path through that time as well and now we come back together and in fact we're really in alignment with what we want to do with motherhood so in a very short uh, summary could you share with the listeners if they haven't heard of your amazing work with newborn mothers what your experience of motherhood was and how you came to do this work in this world
1: Yeah, well, you know, we could go back to the very, very beginning, which is when I was born, and um, my parents only arrived in Australia a few years before I was born, and my mum had an uh, an emergency caesarean and was, you know, quite shocked and and a bit traumatised by the whole thing, but also didn't have any family support to, you know, to help her with her recovery and, and adjustment to motherhood. So, I had the most loving, you know, caring, beautiful childhood. I'm very close with my parents, but they were always very honest with me. You know, when you have babies, um, you know, it's just really good to have your village around, your people. Another thing that happened at that time was my father asked um, for some extra time off to care for my mum whilst she couldn't drive and, you know, couldn't reach and lift and all of those things that you can't do after you've had major abdominal surgery. Um, And also just to spend more time, you know, with me and with my mum during that important stage. And um, he was told no, um, you know, and and the workplace culture was very, you know, almost ridiculing men that, that considered that stuff to be important. So that still happens today. You know, I was just talking to one of my students whose husband's, you know, boss has just been laughing at him for, you know, how ridiculous it would be for him to have six weeks off after the baby's born, which is just so... Frustrating that it hasn't changed that much in that time. Anyway, so we fast forward all this time, and I was actually before I had children myself. I came to this work. I was I spent a year in India after I finished university, um, volunteering and traveling. And uh, of course, as most people do when they spend extended amount of time in India, I got really sick, and that's when I came across Indian medicine Ayurveda. And after honestly, months, even years of being sick. I I, I was sick for about two years, um, really, if you count, you know, all of it. And um, what really blew my mind in the end and, and you know, changed my experience was I went to an Ayurvedic doctor who read my pulse and could tell that I had a, an intestinal parasite that all the mainstream, the Western medica- uh, uh, testing and everything had missed. Um, and they could tell that from just touching my wrist and I was just – absolutely gobsmacked like that just was such a foreign radical idea for me and um so I fell in love with Ayurveda and then I learned about Ayurvedic postpartum care which is what brought me to the work I do so it was actually before I even had children really that I started on this path then my own motherhood story was very difficult and I sometimes think that's made me a better um doula because I think if I had had an easier transition um you know I might not have understood quite so much I would have been a bit like oh well if you just follow xyz and it'll turn out like this and I'm not saying that all people who are doulas and not mothers are like that but you know for me definitely it was a case of like all right throw out the rule book we've got more to learn Mm -hmm. um yeah, and then I came across the fact that it wasn't just Ayurveda that had this postpartum care. It was actually 178 different cultures around the world that have been studied by Dana Raphael, who I know you and I talk about a lot, and um, and that's when I discovered that it's in China and it's in Korea and it's in Lebanon and it's in England and it's in um, Aboriginal Australian culture everywhere does postpartum care except for us. Um, and then the final breakthrough was when I learned about baby brain and the, um, the actual changes that happen in our brains when we become mothers. And that's kind of how I got here. So my kind of areas of fascination are, are, are baby brain as well as the cultural, social um, support that mothers need after childbirth. And I'll add a third one in there, which is the village, building the village in the 21st century. So that's kind of how wow. I got here. <laughs> It's a long story, but I had to, you know, condense it down a little bit. (laughs) Oh, and you did it beautifully. You can actually see the
0: thread. I loved that you went all the way back even to your birth because this is uh, something that has been inherent for many generations. My mother and I just recently had our own very healing experience of talking about what happened after I was born and how disconnected my mum felt and how she was treated and how her very real shock and physical trauma from my very traumatic birth was ignored. And it really helped me to see, again, that we're doing something very profound here. We're changing something that has been out of alignment for a very long time.
1: Yeah, I agree. And I think we do have a whole lot of intergenerational trauma when it comes to all sorts of patriarchal colonizing topics you know I think that there's just massive things to unpack but I agree I think birth seems to be a time when we can heal and reconnect um, it's an opportunity it doesn't always go that way but it is definitely an opportunity to to do things differently
0: it is so let's dive into that topic that you love so much which is also a, an absolute love of mine the baby brain. First of all, what have we been told that the baby brain is? What would most listeners think when you they hear baby
1: brain? Yes, well this if I have a live audience, this is always the question I ask. I say, what do you think <laughs> baby brain is? And everyone says, oh, I'm klutzy, I'm forgetful, um forgotten like rational thought and logic, you know, and I'm I just can't seem to function anymore. Um, and then the next question I ask is usually, well, do you think baby brain is real or do you think it's like a construct of the patriarchy to keep women in the kitchen? And then people tend to come to that conclusion that, oh, it must be made up, you know, maybe they just um, exaggerated it to, to keep us in our place, you know. But what doesn't usually occur to people and what's only really entering kind of mainstream um, culture now is the idea that maybe it is real, well, in fact, it definitely is real, And maybe it's a good thing, not a bad thing. So there's a computer algorithm that can tell with 100% accuracy whether it's looking at the brain scan of a mother or a non-mother. So the changes in your brain are so deeply biological, they're so, you know, physical um, that it's undeniable that baby brain exists. However, in our culture we tend to overstate the drawbacks like, you know, cognitive and memory decline And we never talk about the benefits, which are things like um, uh, better sensory perception, better at reading nonverbal cues, better empathy and compassion, um, being better at multitasking, better at assessing risk, more ambitious and motivated. Um, There are so many wonderful things that happen to our brains when we become mothers, um, but people don't realise that they're a good thing you know because we live in this masculine culture which doesn't value those things
0: so let's first get a little bit of the science out there for the mamas listening who love that type of that side of things the facts and the figures what exactly happens to our brain after we have a baby
1: uh, lots of different things and it starts happening during pregnancy and then um, so even women who experience um, stillbirth or, or maybe give their babies up for adoption or surrogacy or something like that, they will still um, experience a lot of these brain changes. And the changes I, to to kind of explain it in layman's terms, I usually divide it into two areas. There's learning and there's loving. And the loving changes are related to oxytocin uh, and the learning changes are related to neuroplasticity. So the oxytocin side of things and generally the love hormones is obviously related to bonding with your baby. Um, But it's also related to what we kind of think of as oxytocin, which is quicker birth and you know, better breast milk-like um, uh, expulsion. It's, that's the bit that mm-hmm. oxytocin is responsible for. Um, but, yeah, what it's really there for is for helping us fall in love, not just with our babies but with our partners and with our community. And actually all people have oxytocin, young, old, men, women, uh, and it just it's just we end up with a little biological trigger, a little peak when we have a baby. And then the other side of it is the neuroplasticity, which is about how the brain um, changes, how your brain isn't fixed. Uh, And neuroplasticity was actually discovered by a woman scientist, Marion Diamond, who realised that a lot of the brain science research was being done on male rats, um, because female rats were thought to be... um, (laughs) too inconsistent, too hormonal, too emotional and unpredictable and we wouldn't, we wouldn't be able to get reliable results. <laughs> and, that, yeah, and that's still the truth today. Still most research is done on male rats. But obviously it took a woman a long time ago, Marion Diamond realised this, and she had four children herself and experienced baby brain for herself. So when she went back to the lab, she's like, we can't be taking these brain changes out of our research. These brain changes need to be researched. So she started researching on female rats and particularly pregnant and breastfeeding rats and that sort of thing so she discovered neuroplasticity and that is the ability to the brain to change itself and um, that's what happens when we go through puberty and, and as we're all well aware most people are aware of this idea of adolescence that that you know teenagers have you know, change, a lot of changes going on in their brains. They can be a little bit overwhelmed, unpredictable, emotional, need more sleep, need more emotional support. That's all accepted. But we know that teenagers come through that and out the other side, you know, as stronger, more capable adults but we don't talk about that in the context of motherhood that when we are becoming mothers we have this stage where we might be a bit more emotional, we might be need more support, we not, might need more sleep, you know we might even be a bit more unpredictable and that kind of thing, and overwhelmed because it is overwhelming going through a big change in your brain like that, mm-hmm. but then again, we have to consider that we need to reassure mums that we will come through that and out the other side as a stronger, more capable mother. And That's what that transition's there for.
0: And you're very passionate about the, the judgment and the story that we've been told about these changes in ourselves and how they have made us feel inadequate and too emotional and weak because of the cultural setting that we are in. And that it really is time for us to change the way we view this, to see this as a superpower, to see this as a absolutely feminine strength.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, one thing that was really interesting when I was doing some of my own anthropological research for my book and um, I interviewed a bunch of people from traditional cultures where they still do have really strong postpartum care mm-hmm. and uh, one of the questions I often asked people from all different cultures was have, do you have a, an understanding or a concept for something like baby brain, how the brain changes when you become a mother? And actually they all said no. And at first this kind of surprised me and then I realised that maybe if you don't function under the patriarchy, you don't need mm-hmm. to emphasise the feminine so much. It's not considered a deviation <laughs> because it's just part of everyone in normal life. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so that was quite surprising and something I definitely want to keep researching more. Um but definitely in our culture, I mean, girls now is just set up to be, you know, we've had different waves of feminism which have all had their own benefits, but girls now are expected to go to school and get a job and and really all of the indicators of success are against what was traditionally, you know, the male path through life. Um, but we don't consider um, anything that's outside of that to be you know, good. So it is really hard when we become mothers and we suddenly feel overwhelmingly emotional, you know, we, you know, there's that kind of feeling that our children are all the world's children, um, you know, that we have just this overwhelming empathy. And, and I know a lot of women feel they just can't read the news anymore because it's just so, they just feel so much compassion. Um, and that's sort of seen as a weakness rather than a strength. and But if you really look at it, I mean, our politicians today, our world leaders could really do with a lot more of that empathy and compassion in their decision-making processes. So we need to start seeing that masculine and feminine are neither good nor bad. And, in fact, ideally we transcend both both of them as as dualities you know but yes. in the meantime when only we consider masculine to be good then we do need some like affirmative action for feminine strengths and skills as well to make sure that women feel like they are valuable and men as well because you know that's part of breaking down the stereotypes about what it is to be a man as well but but feminine what are traditionally considered feminine traits yeah definitely not valued in our culture and and that I think affects all of us and our whole society in really awful ways I'd even go as far as to saying that that's you know really one of the root causes of climate change and and all of the sorts of global issues we're facing today
0: Oh, I 100% agree with you. And I hope that eventually these conversations will move into boardrooms and corporations so we can support women returning to work in a completely different way and allow them and their new connection, their new empathy, their new emotional awareness to actually be harnessed in a workplace rather than being uh, embarrassed or shamed about the fact that now they cry much more easily, they're more sensitive and affected by things. So many women um, that I have coached over the years, so many of them, Julia, have felt really uncomfortable within themselves about changing their mind about their career after having a baby that something that they used to be so determined to do now feels misaligned to what they want to, the world to be like. They kind of see it mm. through new eyes and they're afraid to step back because, and some of them even talk to me about, you have no idea how long I fought for that role. You don't know how much mm. I paid at hex. how long I was at university, how hard I had to work to get through that glass ceiling. Mm. And suddenly they're like, but I don't think it's for me anymore. And they really struggle with that. But if we could reframe it as, yes, that's what happens. Your brain has changed. Your, your connection to what is important has changed. I think that will be so empowering and relieving for so many women.
1: Mm, Yeah, it certainly was for me. I didn't learn about baby brain until after my second baby was born, I think. And for me, it was just like absolute overwhelming relief, you know, that I didn't have to get back to normal. I didn't have to live up to these ridiculous social expectations, you know, that actually I I was meant to be different. I, I was meant to be a woman I was meant to be a mother because you know that was the biological changes that were happening that were for not only my benefit but my whole family and, and I would even save my whole society exactly and which brings me to the next question
0: I wanted to ask you which is one of the things you said was one of the changes that occurs within us at this time is that we actually become more and um, more ambitious and <laughs> motivated. Now, that flies against every assumption of a mother with baby brain who now forgets that she where she put the keys or accidentally puts the tuner in the washing machine, which is something I've done. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we think it's going to be a time of actually retreating from that type of ambition and motivation. But I remember feeling profoundly motivated and ambitious, especially after my third baby, which was the baby that I really finally honoured that fourth trimester better and really uh, made sure I went into it with the right support. Because I was more supported and rested, my mind was filling with these ways that I wanted to make change in the world. And it was actually a time of great creativity for me.
1: Yeah, I absolutely agree and and I think that's a huge relief for a lot of women to realise that they don't have to then be trapped as a housewife. You know, baby brain isn't a patriarchal concept, it's, it's a biological reality and, um, you know, back in the 90s when, when women mothers started returning to work in large numbers, everyone panicked and actually thought that children were going to suffer. And there was a huge study done, a huge study done of childcare and um, the impacts of childcare on children. And guess what they found? That children were actually fine. That as long as the childcare quality was good, then it doesn't have to be a biological mother who's the primary carer for children. Um, and this seems so radical in our culture where women are so taught to stay in the kitchen. You're either a man or a woman and you cannot step into different roles at different stages. Um, And same for men, you know, men get trapped in that too. But in anthropological research, what we've found is that humans for hundreds of thousands of years until very recently um, all practised alloparenting, which means they had multiple carers for every baby. So each baby, for example, has between 8 and 14 adult carers on a daily basis, on a daily basis. So what that means is if a mother becomes more ambitious and motivated and determined, she has plenty of space to to um, do stuff, you know, to do things um, that, you know, aren't necessarily related to full-time being a mother. And, yeah, it's just such a different way of looking at things. We think of working mum as a very modern concept, you know. We picture a mum with a briefcase and a breast pump. But what if we actually think of it in terms of traditional cultures that it's actually a woman with a, a basket that she goes out to do her, you know, farming and, and gathering and things like that with or a medicine work? And also with a few breastfeeding aunties instead of a breast pump, you know, women were not tied to their babies 24 hours a day until very recently. So it's not a conflict for us to both want to love our children and give them the best start and to also have a life and ambition outside that role as well
0: oh I feel like I just need you to say that last sentence again it's like can hang on can we just really hear this everybody who's listening let's hear this I'm not sure I'll be able to say it again right it is so important for us to recognize that it is not a judgment of what type of mother you are if you have this desire to do something else as well it's just its so important for us to accept
1: this. And this conflict was created by the patriarchy, right? Like mothers have to choose at the moment. You have to choose whether you're a good mum or you go to work and have your own life. There's no in, in between. Um, but actually that's not, yeah, that's not, there shouldn't, that conflict shouldn't exist. We can be both a great mother, a really caring, hands-on mother, and also, yeah, have our own ambition, our own life, our own dreams, our own career. That's right.
0: And actually, it's almost as if I hope we're getting to the point, Julia, where we're, we're allowing a woman to decide what that ambition is around, that it's not necessarily going back into the patriarchal corporate world. You can have an ambition to exercise. You can have an ambition to renovate your house. You can have an ambition to create a women's circle and, and do something that honours you as a woman, outside yeah. of just being the mother. This isn't, again, we don't want to go back into this belief of ambition is a masculine idea. Ambition can be to, to be an amazing daughter through your, through your um, sorry, I'll start that bit again. Ambition can be also to be an amazing daughter to support your parents in a particular time of life. This
1: is something that just is a part of who we are. Exactly. And a lot of the time, I talk to women who, like you're saying, their ambition changes after they become mothers and they might use all of their corporate skills and experience but create something totally different, like a community daycare center or a, yeah. um, a social farm or, um, you know, there's just a, a cooperative where we can um, buy or trade groceries. Like, who knows? But it doesn't, you don't have to use those skills in any particular way um, but acknowledging that those are strengths is really what counts
0: Mm, amazing thank you for saying it so beautifully my final question for you is you, you and I are obviously in the thick of these conversations this is what we do day in day out there are times where I feel really inspired and excited because I can see and feel the change and there are other times where I feel really disheartened where I see the same conversations happening like you said at the start of this call with a workplace still rejecting a father wanting to be home more still denying a woman's emotional change so many things that we still need to change but in the end I generally feel that we're in a really good place for change how do you feel about it all
1: yeah I do I I feel as well having been in this space for really over 10 years now I do feel that it's finally coming into mainstream conversation you can even see that on television now there's tv shows about that are studying um, you know what I would call baby brain and and you know even dramas that are talking about these kind of things so there are more you know I just watched Frozen 2 and I was amazed that to me it seemed like a story about climate resilience and decolonization and I was like wow that's Disney's I, come thought a long that way. <laughs> I thought that too I thought <laughs> that too yeah so definitely things are changing whether it's fast enough I mean that's always a frustration but I think I think the main thing is what I feel frustrated by is I feel like the changes are happening in certain sectors in the, you know, arts and culture we've talked about in local communities. I feel that like the change is happening. I feel like there's a huge lag at the moment in terms of federal leadership and what people want. And that is happening in so many topics. It happened with the um, gay marriage bill as well, that the people were ready for that years before the politicians actually did anything about it. And even then they dragged their feet every step of the way. And I think we're going to see the same thing with any of these changes, that the people are ready and it's very frustrating that the government's still not um, on board. And I think as well we have to be really, really careful that we don't take that pressure off the government, that we don't let them off the hook Um, You know, we need to both be making changes in our personal lives, but we also need to be participating in public life in some way, even if it's all you do is write a letter or go to a protest or sign a petition. Um, But we have to be really careful that we are holding our leaders accountable, that we make sure that our leaders are reflecting the popular view. Um, And that's when the real change will happen.
0: Ah, Perfectly said. I totally agree. And I really do think that mothers will change the world. I think if we, as yeah. you said at the beginning, if we redefine how we view motherhood, how we, do, how we define feminine strength, the flow and effect of this is going to be profound in all areas. So, this is what we're here to do.
1: Yeah, I agree. I feel like my next stage of research, what I'm getting really obsessed and fascinated with now, is matrilineal societies. Mm-hmm. Um, what is the alternative to the patriarchy? You know, that really fascinates me because we're going to have to find it pretty quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, literally, or we're all going to die. You know, like that's, you know, that is the reality that we're facing right now. We've come to the end of this society, it's not working. It's not um, working. So, I'm really, really interested in how do we then allow these more feminine um, traits and skills and strengths and leadership to rise very quickly because um, it's so important. It's just the most important work we could be doing right now.
0: Uh, Exactly. And for everyone listening, this is why this is so important. As you said, we do it within ourselves, we do it within our home, but please always keep in mind the bigger change that we're calling for here. Julia, so amazingly powerful to speak with you. I, uh, You have played a big role in me first discovering this type of work. I did your very first training, your pilot program training. <laughs> it was like a thousand lifetimes ago. Um, and I know that you now train and support women, doulas, birth workers around the world in this topic. So I am incredibly
1: grateful for what you're doing. Oh, and it's just such a pleasure to talk to you too, Amy. You know, I feel really glad that you do courses directly for mums. <laughs> oh, good. It makes me feel like, oh, whew, that's taken care of. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Together we will do it. You take the trainers and I'll do the mummers. <laughs> exactly,
1: exactly.
0: <laughs> Thank you so much. I'll share in the show notes how everybody can uh, look at Julia's work. I forgot to say, Julia, your ebook. Uh, six and a half years ago when my third child was born was the reason why that fourth trimester was so spectacularly different. Was
1: that the the recipe book? That was the recipe book all
0: those years ago. That's how it began for me. So uh, please, no matter what stage of motherhood you're at, please have a look at Julia's work. It's very powerful. And thank (laughs) you
1: again. Good. Thanks for having me, Amy.
0: Oh, I could have these conversations all day, every day. I never get sick of talking about what happens to a woman when she becomes a mother and the phenomenal difference that we are now beginning to understand that she is. Her brain has changed. Her sense of self has changed. This is empowerment to know this information about yourself. Please go to Julia's website to learn more about her work with newborn mothers go to newbornmothers.com. And coming up in August in 2020, I will be running my matrescence training online again. This is the culmination of everything that I have learned from five years of supporting mamas through matrescence, my studies, my work with Columbia University, my own techniques in supporting women. If you're interested in bringing matrescence into your work, or supporting mothers differently. Get on the wait list for this life-changing training by going to amyTaylorKabaz.com forward slash Mama Rising Training. And please share this podcast far and wide. Let's get this message out there. Until next week, Satnam.